Wedge Issues is brought to you by WISPolitics.com, a place where political insiders go for news, opinion, and campaign information. Once again, that's WISPolitics.com. You know, it seems like you can always count on people to hate on millennials and politicians. So what happens when you get millennial politicians together and you throw in a journalist for good measure? I'm Jesse O'Poyan, and this is Wedge Issues, a Cap Times podcast about state government and politics in Wisconsin. We're back from our holiday hiatus just in time to start documenting the upcoming legislative session here in Madison. This week, I sat down with Representative Amanda Stuck, a Democrat from Appleton, and Representative Adam Nealon, a Republican from Pewaukee. They are the co-chairs of the bipartisan Wisconsin Future Caucus, which brings together state legislators aged 40 and under. The group had a little help getting started by the national group, the Millennial Action Project, and its goals are really just to get young lawmakers from both parties in the same room, talking about what they can do to make Wisconsin a better state for their generation and the generations to come after. Stay tuned for my conversation with Representative Stuck and Representative Nealon, but first let's check in on what's going on in the state capitol this week. Oh my god, Eric, we're back. It's I can't believe it. It's uh, yeah. Every time I've thought about um, our return, I start thinking like, guess who's back? Back again. again. <laughs> oh my god, wait. Oops. And then I get the Eminem <laughs> song stuck in my head. I think it was like without me. And uh, we were literally making the same joke earlier when I was recording the Mad Splainers podcast, oh another god. podcast we do here at the Cape Times, all about <laughs> municipal issues. I literally said the exact same thing. Like I had the exact same feeling about wedge issues. So we're we, all the same kind of nerd. Yeah. It feels good to be back. It does feel good to be back. And speaking of things that are back, new government, new governor, Tony Evers, uh, sworn in like a little under two weeks ago. Um, yeah, so Jesse, how fares state government? Is is everyone getting along? It's the first time in like eight years that there is a sh- shared power between the parties and state it's been government. Been a while. Yeah, yeah. How, how are things going there? Uh... Great! It sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> everyone says they're trying to get along. Oh, okay. Well, it's they're trying. Yeah. I, at least they say they're they trying. Say, I've, I've heard the phrase "common ground" a lot in these last few days and weeks. Um, there, there might, there may be some common ground. There is some common ground, but there is a lot of stuff to fight over, and we're starting to watch that in action. So earlier this week, Governor Evers met privately with the Republicans in the Senate and Assembly. Um, that was actually interesting too. The Republican caucuses in the Senate and Assembly don't usually meet together, um, but they did this time and met with the the governor. They, of course, have majorities in the legislature, and they're going to have to work with a Democrat in the governor's office for yeah. the first time in Just eight years. Just to clarify, this meeting was between um, leaders of the different... It was the whole caucuses. The whole it was caucus. all of the okay. Republican lawmakers. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Big meeting. Big meeting. They all came out of it saying they didn't really get into a lot of specifics, um, but it was immediately clear that some lines had already been drawn in the sand on things like the Medicaid expansion, which Tony Evers wants to accept and include in his budget. Republicans say no way. 
Things like taxes, where there is common ground in that everyone wants to give middle class earners a tax cut, but they disagree on how to do that. So we're starting to see this, the beginning of here's what we agree on. But the second we start talking about the details of how to accomplish it, it's going to get a little tricky. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of these specific policies and issues where there is or isn't common ground. Um, So let's talk about pre-existing conditions for starters. So this has been a huge, it was a huge theme of 2018 and continues to be a a, a big topic now. There is a bill that has just passed an assembly committee, I believe. Um, Why don't you uh, explain, Jesse, like why, what is exactly this conversation we're having about pre-existing conditions in the Wisconsin context? My understanding, it has to do with the hypothetical if the Affordable Care Act goes away and suddenly there is no federal law requiring insurers to um, to not deny people on the basis of pre-existing conditions. It's kind of this, this hypothetical situation. So what, exa- what exactly are we talking about here? Yeah, that's exactly it. That's, that's the premise here. And this is something that's been, a, a, again, both parties say we all agree on wanting to make sure that people with pre-existing conditions are covered by health insurance. Everyone either has or knows someone who has a pre-existing condition. This is not a partisan issue. That being said, there's a lot of disagreement about how to accomplish that. Um, What we're looking at right now is this legislation that Assembly Republicans have said, this is our number one priority. We're going to pass this right out of the gate. Senate Republicans, um, there are some folks who have had some concerns with um, the sort of the mandate aspect of telling insurers what they can or can't do, um, and, and other specifics in the bills that have gotten hung up along the way. And Democrats who say, yeah, we agree with you, Republicans, that we want to protect and, and require insurers to cover pre-existing conditions, but this bill doesn't do enough in the eyes of Democrats. Tony Evers has said he will only sign a bill that is as strong as or stronger than the protections under the federal law. The problem with that is states can't compel uh, self-insured plans to do this. So if you're an employer that self-funds your insurance plan, the state can't make this requirement of you. Only the federal government can. So that's a hang-up with addressing this at the state level. Um, Other concerns that Democrats have with the bill is it doesn't address things like essential benefits that the plans have to cover, doesn't address things like annual or lifetime limits, um, which can add up pretty quickly for people with some serious conditions. So um, part of the debate this week was, should legislators try to tackle this all in one bill or all in a package of bills, or is it better to just find areas where you you can get one thing done and maybe take up the next thing down the road? Mm. And another thing where there does seem to be some shared interest between, you know, the different parties is uh, when it comes to taxes. Uh, There's been a lot of talk about how one of these examples of common ground comes into this interest to have some kind of a middle income tax cut for for middle income families. And hot off the presses, Jesse, you just got back from covering the actual proposal that has sort of uh, come from the Republicans, correct? That's uh, right. Today. Uh, so what, what exactly was proposed here? So the proposal from Assembly Republicans is essentially the, the effect on uh, middle income earners is the same as what Governor Evers proposed on the campaign trail. This is a 10% pretty much across the board tax cut for middle income families. Um, the way that Assembly Republicans want to fund this is by using a surplus or a positive balance that exists in the budget um, that is money that's already there, money that isn't allocated toward anything. 
Um, that's a balance of about $600 million right now. That's a little bit more than they would need to fund this. So Assembly Republicans are coming out and saying, look, you know, we want to help you meet your campaign promise, Tony Evers. And Governor Evers is saying, well, not so fast. That's not the way I want to do it. The way that he campaigned on doing this was by capping the manufacturing and agriculture tax credit, which which cuts the income tax liability for manufacturers and agriculture producers. So Democrats have had problems with this particular credit because about three quarters of it in 2017 was projected to go to people who made more than a million dollars per year. So they say that um, this credit sort of disproportionately benefits the wealthy Um and, and so what Tony Evers has proposed is cap that credit to a $300,000 limit, which brings in the money that you need then to do the tax cut for middle income earners at 10%. Do you think that this disagreement over how to make this tax cut work, is that going to be enough to undermine um, you know, this effort to actually get this. Well, it sure could. (laughs) I think, you know, what we might see here is there's a fundamental disagreement at play. And that is that, um, Governor Evers and Democrats say, this is not a fair credit. You're essentially wiping up out income tax liability for these businesses and, and farmers. But, um, Republicans say if you get rid of a credit that already exists, you're raising taxes on farmers and and manufacturers. So that sort of fundamental disagreement at play, I think, is going to be a problem as they try to get to that end goal where they agree. But um, the road to getting there is going to be a really tricky one. Well, finally, we should acknowledge that uh, the first state of the state from Governor Tony Evers is is coming up. Jesse, do you have any idea of what uh, well, can you remind us when it's going to happen, first of all? Tuesday, January 22nd at 7 p.m. hey And uh, do you have any ideas of what might get uh, brought up by the governor? You know, I sure don't at this point, but I am going to guess that we're going to hear some things about, um, you know, he'll be reiterating probably some of the campaign priorities that he talked about, certainly as he looks ahead to crafting a budget, which he'll be doing in the next few months. He may be giving us a little few previews of what he'll be putting in that. Um, We already know some of those things. But if we look back to his inaugural address, it was a lot of talk about common ground, about coming together, about finding ways to work together and and that sort of divisive nature of, of government. I'm sure we'll hear more of that. But in terms of specifics, we will all have to tune in and find out. Oof, I'm on tenterhooks over here. I'm my favorite expression. That's a great expression. I have no idea what it means. It actually sounds kind of like... It sounds I, painful. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> it's so <laughs> good to be back in the saddle, Jesse. And I'm excited to hear this interview about my people, about millennials. About millennials. Yeah. Eric, what is the... What millennial stereotype would you say applies most to you? Avocado toast, for sure. Okay. I eat it, I would say, every third day. Wow. I have avocado toast for breakfast. That's your I love prime it. millennial. So good. I love it. It is a really good snack. Yeah. Come on. How about you? Um, I've been thinking about this. Um, I think the one that probably applies to me most is this concept that uh, millennials are prioritizing their pets over themselves or like treating their pets as children. Um, that's definitely where I'm at in life right now. I think my dog is about as much responsibility as I can handle, but she probably, I probably spend more on like getting her groomed than I do on getting my own haircut or like more on her food than I do and on mine. she my. looks great. She's a stylish lady. She really is. Um, so we'll, we'll find out from our, my interview subjects who formed a millennial type caucus in the legislature, which stereotypes apply to them when we talk to them. So stay tuned for that.
Representative Amanda Stucks. I represent the Appleton and Menasha area in the Fox Cities, uh, Northeast Wisconsin. Um, how I got here, oh geez. <laughs> sometimes I don't even know how I got here, I ask myself that. Uh, I actually started working for Congressman Steve Kagan when he was in office. Um, so worked in the district there, and then when my predecessor decided to leave, she actually approached me about running for her seat. So now I'm in my third term, so now you're it in. feels like it was yesterday, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's been a little while now. Uh, State Representative Adam Nealon. Um, currently just ran in one of my fourth term. Um, I am uh, represent Waukesha County, one of the few legislators that just has one county. And uh, so northeast Waukesha County, city of Waukesha included in that, Pewaukee, Sussex, Lisbon, a little bit of Brookfield. And I'm currently the chairman of the Committee on Jobs and the Economy and um, just got appointed vice chair of insurance. So that's been fun getting to know that industry. And I uh, was working off and on in politics. I'm a small business owner myself. I started a, a window cleaning company at 19, ran that for a few summers, decided I was going to work in politics, worked in politics for a while, decided I'm done with politics. Uh, and I was working in D.C. for Congressman Sensenbrenner at the time. So I decided to move back to Wisconsin, and uh, was, while I was looking for a job, I thought, hey, I had that window cleaning company. So I started that up again, um, and I've been doing that now for eight years. I just started a second business too, but that's another story. Mm -hmm. um, and um, when I decided to run, I had, like I said, I'd worked on and off in politics, so I understood kind of campaigns and whatnot, and there was a special election in the district I was living in to replace outgoing Paul Farrell, and I thought, hey, maybe this is a good opportunity for me. It's not something I really had set my sight on, um, but it was. I knew it was going to be a special, so it was going to be only six weeks. Uh, and since I was running my own business, I could take time off. So it was kind of a low-risk kind of uh, and something that I you know, have always been passionate about in terms of uh, public policy and politics and helping the community. So it just kind of uh, fit nicely in what I wanted to do. Um, yeah, had you guys ever thought when you were growing up, like maybe I'll run for office someday, or is that something that came along after actually working for people who had already run? Yeah, so I always say, you know, my parents were not involved in politics at all, at all. <laughs> they were very young, poor parents, so they this was nothing they were involved in. Um, but when I was 10, I saw Bill Clinton speak, and so I wanted to be Bill Clinton. That was always what I'd say when I asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be Bill Clinton. But I never thought I'd actually run. I always thought I'd be more like behind the scenes, like doing policy stuff or working for somebody else. I never thought I would be the one to run. Yeah, I mean, I came from an extremely political household. You know, that was like a normal dinner conversation was politics and policy and community. Um, but it was actually, it was kind of, could get a little contentious because my mom is was uh, a Democrat. And my dad is kind of a middle of the road Republican, but I always thought he was a Democrat. He was kind of, you know, he, he claims he's Republican, but he's pretty moderate. Um, and the joke was when I, like a lot of people go to college and rebel, I went to college and became a Republican. Um, <laughs> so my family has a long history of uh, Democratic politics. Um, and I was like one of the first, actually one of my first donations was from my cousin who's a deputy mayor uh, of a city in Florida and she's a Democrat. So I like to say my first donation was actually a Democrat. Um, but uh, uh, when I was younger, I thought maybe someday I'll run for office. But I honestly thought it would be like in my 50s or something. Like I never thought I was going to do it when I was younger for a lot of reasons. And, and it just kind of like was an opportunity that I thought I could do and do well. 
And so what, it wasn't until that opportunity arose that I actually seriously considered running for office when I was younger. I thought I'd you know, establish myself, have a business, have a family, and then later in life do it. Um, but uh, you know, I guess John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're making other plans. So mm-hmm. here I am. And was it last session you guys started the Future Caucus here? So millennials coming together, bipartisanship. Um, tell me a little bit about what, um, I know this is a national effort, but what does it look like in Wisconsin and how did that come together? So um, I know I was approached by the National Millennial Action Project. They are looking to start these in each state and they had said that they kind of heard our names through the grapevine as people who might be willing to help start this here. And I certainly was interested always looking at ways to be more bipartisan just because I think government works better when you can do things more bipartisan. I know we certainly hear on doors all the time. People are, they always say we're sick of that. Why can't you guys work together? Why are things so terrible? Like you guys should get together. So I thought this might be an interesting way. I like the concept that it's millennials maybe have a different approach to politics and can maybe overcome some of the stuff that maybe people who are older and have been around for a really long time it would have a harder time getting past and working together on. So I thought it was a neat idea and was glad to work with Adam to start this. Yeah, it was pretty similar. They, they approached us. I was actually a little more reluctant at first, honestly, not because I didn't uh, appreciate the objective, but because it was like I was chairing two committees. I got two kids. I'm already on the DPI board. I'm on a steering committee for self-driving cars. You know, I, I just had a lot and I was just like, do I need another thing? But I think the, the selling point for me was honestly like it being a younger generation because um, I have a lot of pride in being millennial. A lot of people are like, oh, millennials, but like I have a lot of pride in it. And like I kind of like stick up for millennials. And I think that like we can like lead the way in a, in, in a different direction in terms of working together and, and kind of having a fresh start in some ways. And that was kind of the appeal to me was the generational thing and and being able to actually have a bipartisan working group, I thought would probably be beneficial too, because in my experience, there's never really been that opportunity. And I do find myself working across the aisle a lot on issues already. So I thought to have some sort of way of of having uh, an outlet to, you know, have actual communications and civil dialogue in, in ways that we might not agree on everything, but at least we're having an ability to talk about things I thought would be beneficial. Uh, so I eventually I agreed to do it and I'm happy I did. So how many members do you guys have now? What kind of activity have you been doing since you launched it? Well, it's kind of loose. I mean, the last actual like caucus we had, we had maybe 15 legislators. I'd say like 15, 15 to 20 or, probably at least we have. Yeah, that showed up the last one. at some point between all the things. Yeah. And then, but one thing that really surprised us is the last event we had, we had about 40 people that were non-legislators show up. Oh, wow. So like staff, people around Madison, like younger people that were excited for this type of opportunity. Some people that didn't even work in politics, but had heard about it through however. And um, so I think our last meeting, we had like 50 some people, um, but it was, you know, we haven't actually met as a caucus this session, but we have more uh, millennials than ever. So I think that we'll probably see those numbers grow. but. We're still kind of getting our footing in terms of exactly what we want to do. In the past, we've mostly done outreach. We've mostly had opportunities to come together and, and talk and and bring more people into the fold. 
Um, so we're looking at how to expand that and how to make that more productive. Yeah, well, I would just say, I mean, I think sometimes even just coming together, because there really are so few opportunities to come together across the aisle, this is really one of the only caucuses that is truly bipartisan. I think the Sportsman Caucus is really the only other bipartisan mm -hmm. caucus. Um, so I think just building those relationships and starting to build that trust to do something like this is a huge step. I think sometimes people don't even realize how big that is just to have that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, so you've both been in the legislature just when it's been under one party control, which, I mean, it still is, but I think it's a different era now with the Democrat and the governor's office. But you're, yeah, you're both used to a, a dynamic that I, you hear from legislators who have been around forever about like the good old days and yeah. everyone would get along and stuff, but it's just, um, you kind of have to force that a little bit now if you want to make it happen. Yeah, you have to be real intentional about yeah. it. Was it hard, I guess, to take the step to, to be willing to say, like, yeah, I'm actually going to sit down with people of the other party? I mean, it just was, I, there's no element of trust involved there, I think, that you're going to be good to each other <laughs> and be respectful to each other. Well, I mean, I, I guess not for me. I wasn't concerned about it. I, you know, I tried to propose some other things in the past, like a paper caucus and things to do things in a bipartisan way, because I really do want to do things in a bipartisan way, because I do think there's lots of room to work together and a lot of things we do agree on if we can kind of get the political stuff out of the way. Um, so I was excited to do it. I was a little bit unsure, like, how much will I actually be able to get done, like, legislatively. But again, I think it doesn't have to be all legislative to say it's a win. Again, just building those relationships, just doing outreach to get young people to get a different view of politics, that it doesn't have to be ugly, that it can you know, be something better if we're willing to work together. I think even just kind of doing that outreach and, and doing that kind of thing is big too. Yeah, I, I think you really hit on it with trust. I think that's not only important in this caucus, but important in politics in general. And I think the more you can build trust, the more you can uh, see yourself working across the aisle and working with other people. And it was a bit of a different dynamic last session when we didn't need to work together, right? I mean, so there was a little bit more, uh, I guess, risk involved of putting together a bipartisan caucus when you have a situation where you don't really need to, right? You yeah. can get whatever you want done without really working across the aisle. But in my experience, I think it's helpful to have a lot of different opinions and different voices and different people to contribute to something to make it overall a better product or a better experience. And I, I've tried to always include the other side with amendments or different things. So my experience as a legislator has been making an effort to try to reach out. So it was kind of a natural transition. Um, but I, I do think that it, it, trust is important. And if there was ever a situation where you know, we ran out and tried to embarrass the other person for something that was said in a caucus or in conversations, then we'd have a very different dynamic in our caucus and it might you know, fall apart. So there has to be a level of trust there that we can talk openly, that we're not in it to try to, you know, politically damage uh, anybody else, but we're trying to actually come together and, and uh, make Wisconsin better. Are there areas that you guys have found kind of come up in, when you get together as a caucus, like things that you tend to find more opportunity to work together on or things that you might think about introducing as legislation at some point? Well, I know we've talked about things like um, student loan mm -hmm. accounts, or not, not student loans, but student accounts in Wisconsin. We've talked about that as a possible Education bill. savings account. Yeah, the oh, education sure. savings account. Okay. Thank you. Um, a technology is something that's come up. I think just sort of quality of life for millennials. You know, we've had, uh, you know, some millennials from more rural parts of the state talking about just people leaving and how do we keep people here? How do we 
make this more vibrant again. Um, so I think those are all things that no matter what party you're on, that matters to you, especially as a millennial. Yeah, I, I think that one thing I'm learning is that there are no single issues that affect demographics in a way that those are their issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's like young people care about all the issues. Just like you can't say, oh, there's women issues or there's POC issues or there's like issues that affect a certain sub section of the population because that subsection cares about all the issues, right? So like when we come together and talk, we talk about like, how do we keep people in Wisconsin? How do we make rural communities more vibrant and attract workers? How do we get people to stay? And those aren't necessarily issues that are specific to us. They're issues that everyone cares about, you know? So we come together and we're like, all right, well, what are our issues? And when we talk, they're usually issues that like everybody would, would care about, right? So I think what makes us unique is that we are a future caucus. So we tend to be more forward thinking in terms of, okay, in the future, like it's not like right now that we're trying to change, but how can we make Wisconsin better in the long run? And it also is uh, bipartisan, obviously. And also it attracts younger people that might be more experienced with certain things or might have uh, a different perspective on things because of the way they grew up or because of familiarity with technology. So you do have a different perspective of, of issues, but the issues are really the same issues that everybody's talking about. Wedge Issues is sponsored by wispolitics.com. You can become a wispolitics.com member. Find out more at wispolitics.com slash membership. Can you just speak to the importance of having a group that is really dedicated toward a particular generation? And, um, you know, like there's not like a baby boomer caucus because that would just be everyone who's ever been elected. <laughs> well, I think one thing that is kind of different is that our generation and people under 40 were kind of raised in a more internet savvy and like technology driven and smaller world where we knew a lot of people from different backgrounds and experiences and that there is more of a willingness to accept another perspective in terms of, okay, maybe we can look at things a different way. So I just think it's like, our generation is unique in that just our experience, just like the previous generation had their own experience and their own way that their world was shaped. We have our own way that our world is shaped. So that's just like our perspective is different when we're looking at issues is I think the best way I could say that. Yeah, I think, I mean, certainly you're always defined by the time you grow up in and the mm-hmm. times that you're you know alive in and so our perspective is different. I think millennials are much more traveled, much, you know, have different sort of a worldview, um, as every generation does from the generation before it. And so I think it does give us a different perspective. I think it, we have different issues that we're focused on that we may have differences on. Um, might not be the same issues that divided the parties in the past or kind of thing. So, I mean, I think it gives us a different opportunity to work on different things together and, you know, again, also just help build up the leaders that are coming up behind those that are there now and really trying to build them up and make them the best they can be as we move up in, in the political world. Yeah, and I, I think just to add to that, I mean, certain specific things that are kind of shaped us is like we've been told to get more education constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always like if you want to get a good job, if you want to, you know, get a pay raise, do this, this and this. 
And I think education in terms of, uh, you know, advanced education, like getting your master's or doctorate, that's like more important in terms of uh, our generation. We see that as kind of like, okay, well, this is a path. This is a process opposed to previous generations that uh, might have had a different perspective on that. Another thing I think has really shaped us is uh, financial crisis in 2008, especially older millennials. I mean, you're seeing things like, like millennials aren't buying diamonds, you know, or all this stuff like that's like, well, like, yeah, because like we might not, you know, exactly. So we might not be able to get a pay raise in five years, you know, like there's not this like trajectory that has always, you, you think of when you're like, all right, we'll do this, this, and this, and this will happen. Like it's, it's different now. And, and I, I think that that has kind of shaped who we are just internally. And maybe that's not even like, some people might be even oblivious to the, what has shaped them. But I think certainly that has been a big part of at least older millennials experience and kind of their outlook on life. Yeah, no, it's constantly like, oh, millennials are like killing every industry. And yeah. It's like, well, yeah, we are like the first generation to be worse off than yes, everyone exactly. before us. Yes. So how old are each of you? I'm 36. Okay. And I just turned 34. Okay. What's the, do you know the, like the age range of people in the caucus? So their guidance to us from MAP was 40 and under. Okay. Um, you talk a lot about trying to make, you know, Wisconsin an attractive place for millennials to stay or come back to. What has kept both of you here or brought you back from when you've left? Well, I never left. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't convince me to leave. I love this state. I, yeah. I mean, it's really... It is the quality of life here. It is the fact that you don't have to travel far to be in a beautiful park or natural area, but yet also, especially like in the Fox Cities, be close to the Performing Arts Center or great schools. Um, so you really have both. You have some really great, exciting uh, things to do, but you can also be far away from the city and in a rural area with not having to drive too far. And it really is a great place to raise kids and to get a good education and really if you get a good job here, it's cheap to live here. So it really is affordable and just a great place to be. Yeah. So I could, you know, go on all day about this, but I'll try to keep it succinct. <laughs> so when I grew up in Illinois, so I didn't have, you know, my experience with Wisconsin growing up was like, you know, Lake Geneva and Wisconsin Dells, you know, and uh, I went to Carroll. So I went to uh, college in, in Waukesha and then I moved to DC and I didn't think I was going to be in Wisconsin forever. Like that was my home. But for whatever reason, when I was in DC, I missed Wisconsin so much, like especially the people. In Wisconsin, everyone generally is like friendly and like happy to see you. I would say hi to people in DC and they'd look at me like, what do you want from me? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. who are you? Like, why are you trying to talk to me? Yeah. You know, and it was just like, wow, this is weird, you know? And it, I started to like find all these excuses to come back to Waukesha. Like, I'd be like, oh, it's your birthday? Oh, I better fly back, <laughs> you know? And like, I kept coming back and I'm, eventually I'm like, wait a second, I want to be in Wisconsin. You know, so I left my job with no other job to move back to Wisconsin. And um, from there, I think the, if I could just elaborate on the thing that I love about Wisconsin more than anything, though, is it has such a unique character. If you think of like Illinois, like what is Illinois? Right. Like land of Lincoln. Like what, what, you know, like Wisconsin, you have cheeseheads and beer and brats and there's this like cultural distinction that makes us unique and like people recognize and to me that's special that there's this like ingrained cultural connection that we have as a community 
uh, even though it's statewide, that you can point to and be like, oh, cheeseheads. Oh, they love the Packers and they love bratwurst. I'm like, yeah, we do. We love cheese. <laughs> yeah, like nothing wrong with that. You know, and I think that that like that heritage that we have that makes us different than everybody, I, I like fell in love with that. Um, well, I'm going to wrap us up soon, but I've got a couple quick questions. Right. I want to know your least favorite millennial stereotype. Like what's the thing that you hear about millennials and you're like, oh, that's so wrong. Uh, I guess that entitled perception that yeah. we're really entitled just uh, as somebody who was a single mom and worked and scraped by for every single thing I have. Mm -hmm. uh, I certainly have never felt entitled and have never been given anything in my life. So uh, I think that entitled perception really bugs me. Yeah. Well, first of all, I got to admit some of the stereotypes are correct. You <laughs> well, know? I was going to ask you about that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I would say the, the one that bothers me the most is probably that millennials are lazy. Like I think yeah. nobody's had to work harder. People are doing like two jobs. They got a side hustle, like, yeah. and then they got to go home and they got to answer email and Facebook messages and they got a Twitter and they do Instagram. They do like, like just like being yourself is a job. Yeah. And then going above and beyond to try to like make it in in a world that's like more expensive, where wages have haven't increased. We're working so hard just to like maintain and the idea that like millennials are lazy i'm like what you know there's it's definitely bothersome when I, when i hear that but okay so now what is the millennial stereotype that applies to each of you the most we, me, yeah. mm -hmm. um well i'll say this one i guess um there, there was well i guess not for the stereotype but there was a thing about millennials killing pet food because their oh. pets are their babies or whatever yeah. so they're like only buying good <laughs> pet food uh -huh. <laughs> and i was like oh that's Definitely me. Yeah. <laughs> Pets are my babies, so. Me too. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this is a tough one because I did buy diamonds. I do own a house. Yeah, you're kind of like the anti-millennial. I know, you know. We're also sort of old, though. That's true. You're yeah. millennial. Yeah. millennial. Yeah. I'm like an elder. I'm like, these kids yeah. these days. Yeah. You know, I don't have an Instagram. I didn't even know what Instagram was. I was like, <laughs> when... When my wife was like, yeah, we got all these wedding photos. I'm like, yeah, put them on Instagram. She's like, that's not how Instagram works. <laughs> You can't just put a folder on Instagram. I'm like, well, what the heck's Instagram? I thought it's for pictures. Well, yeah. Um, okay, let me think. I'm so, <laughs> what what are some like overall oh, stereotypes? Lives like, at home, also, lazy, yeah. like. Do you eat avocado toast? I like. I do like avocado. <laughs> I do like avocado. Oh, yeah. you know what people make fun of me sometimes for? I like kale. Oh, yeah. That's. that's is there, that no? Yeah. I think they're avocados and kale or something. Yeah, that's but uh, what is also it? some of them you have to laugh. Like if that's our stereotype that we're healthier. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Take care of I ourselves. Know, I, I, think I should do more of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. What are the other ones? Yeah. What, are, what are some good ones? Um, oh, we're killing the pet food thing. Yeah. Um, napkins, I think I read once. Oh, I don't buy napkins. What do you do? Paper towels. <laughs> there you go. I don't use napkins. I don't. Wow. Yeah. I, I always have napkins. My wife gets mad at me because I use so many paper towels. She's like, just use a regular towel, Adam. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Paper towels for me. So. <laughs> there you go. That's one. Um, yeah. I'm going to, as soon as we move on, I'm going to be yeah. like, oh, boom, 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 boom. Um, where's my good stereotypes? I think a lot of them like relate to like being lazy. Like I'm just yeah. thinking of like oh taking breaks at work all the time or like yeah. oh expecting yeah. to like walk into like a top position and not have to work your way up. Yeah, maybe yeah, that's me. Maybe that's me. Yeah. 
That's my oh, stereotype. That you just ex- Since I was young, I never liked having bosses. I don't know. Like, I'm like, I could do this better. Like, that is a bad. And for the most part, it's worked because I worked at a window cleaning company <laughs> and I started my own. <laughs> you know? So there you go. So I would. I would probably have a hard time conforming to a normal office with a boss and nine to five and, you know, that kind of thing. But I would say, except the uh, being lazy and not buying a house or, you know, uh, they all apply to me. How about that? (laughs) They're all. I'm I'm a millennial. (laughs) They're all. You just have to prove it. You guys ready for your last two questions? Sure. This is what I ask everybody. Uh, What's your favorite Wisconsin beer? I don't drink beer. (laughs) (laughs) This is gonna look terrible. So just find a a brewery in your district. Like uh, soft drink or like anything that you like. Well, spark root beer, right? So actually, that's what I brought to the millennial to the uh, national map meeting of. Uh, members of Future Caucus that yeah. come together nationally. I, we were supposed to bring something from our state. I yeah. brought the root beer. Is really good. Yeah. yeah. Depends on the season. Okay. I would say, uh, but Lakefront is my, my go-to. So either Eastside Dark or uh, River West Dine. Both good. Favorite Wisconsin cheese. If you say you don't eat cheese, then I'm just Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I eat cheese, but I don't like, what kind of cheese? Cheese curds considered a Totally. Cheese. Absolutely. So, I love it all, you know. For some reason, ever since I had little kids, I've recently rediscovered how great string cheese is. Yeah. <laughs> I love me some string cheese. This, this is, is important, it? though. Do you bite it off or do you peel it? Oh, I always peel it. Okay, yeah. That's yeah. the only way. Yeah. I, I think it's like sociopathic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but I like cheddar, you know. I like it all. So, I, I like uh, like spicy cheese, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Really good ghost pepper cheese. It's good. Wow, that sounds great. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for doing this. I don't know if there's anything you want to say about just like people who want to find out more about the caucus. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, everyone out there probably knows how to use the internet. So search (laughs) Millennial Action Project, you know, in Google. They have a really good website and that you can click on Wisconsin. You can learn about us more. There'll be links and emails and stuff that you can get a hold of us. Um, but yeah, just searching Millennial Action Project, you'll learn a lot about the national group and specifically the Wisconsin chapter. Yeah, great. And also, I I just remembered something. Yes. So I'm obsessed with Lacroix. Oh, that's so millennial. That's so millennial, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for listening to Wedge Issues. Our theme music is Oh, Wisconsin by Loxley. We'll be back every week with new episodes on Friday, so make sure you're subscribed on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you can stay up to date. If you have any suggestions or feedback for me, you can find me on Twitter at jessieopie, J-E-S-S-I-E-O-P-I-E, or you can email me at J-O-P-O-I-E-N at madison.com. You can also check out our other Cap Times podcasts like The Corner Table, and Mad Splainers, which I have been listening to a lot lately because they are interviewing the many mayoral candidates in the city of Madison. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Wedge Issues has been brought to you by Wispolitics.com. 
There are plenty of benefits to becoming a member. You can go to wispolitics.com membership to find out more.